0: ancient art of kata. By the way, for people, before you complain, this is unloaded. <laughs> I was showing my producers here. I did a trigger job on my Ruger SP-101. Fantastic firearm, uh, huge show today. Mm. By the way, first off, producing with me in video studio, as always, is Jared, who is not gay. Follow him at Twitter, on Twitter, on at notgayjared, me at S. Crowder. I fulfill my legal obligations, drawing on conclusions. We good? We're good, thank you. Gerald is back in the seat, That's at right, Morgan Jr. Worst yes. Twitter handle in the business. Thank you very much. And apparently Edward the Sound Guy is now Fonzie. Did you see that? Hey. hey. <laughs> we got Razor Ramon on sound. Hey-o. hey I'm a bad guy. Uh, big show. Big show. We have Dr. Yes. Doctor Jordan Peterson back. We'll be talking about, uh, we took your questions. Mm-hmm. So, of course, today is the live show, by the way. For those who want the daily show, ladderwithcloud.com slash mug club. We had a, some huge shows this week. Uh, big shows. debates behind the paywall that we would never be allowed to have on YouTube. <laughs> and um, Jordan Peterson, and we have uh, one of the best comedians working today, Owen Benjamin. Many Hilarious. of you know him, love him, very funny, and uh, a little more outspoken about his political views.
1: He is. Yeah, yeah I think it's coming. I think it's 2017 is creating a culture that's becoming okay. It's I becoming think. okay. Which yeah. Is, which is good to see. Yeah. It's the conservative coming out
0: year. Yes. In a matter of speaking. But every year is Jared's coming out. We'll get our own (laughs) ABC show one day. Speaking of coming out, faith-based gay group. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. This is in the news. We'll get to other news after this, but I thought this was most pressing to address. (laughs) (laughs) Faith-based gay group. Did you see this Uh, for Ash Wednesday? Mm -hmm. Coming up to Easter, they put glitter. Do we have that? They put glitter in the ashes. Yeah, right there. Uh, We have it right there. They put glitter in the ashes. uh, I don't know why. It's some kind of a statement. And people are (laughs) mad about it. But uh, but honestly, I I think they're being uh, rather merciful uh, compared with their original plan of replacing Lent candles with butt plugs. (laughs) I don't think that's... (laughs) Welcome to Thursday. Yeah. Welcome to Thursday. So now, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Valerie Jarrett. Did you read that? Valerie Jarrett is moving in with the Obamas. This was a big thing. It was trending all day today. Valerie Jarrett is moving in with the Obamas, <laughs> the most trusted senior advisor, moving into their D.C. home. Um, and this is because there's speculation that they have a plan to enter sort of liberal politics and create these think tanks. You know, the only thing worse than a Jimmy Carter presidency is, is a Jimmy Carter post presidency. <laughs> yes, I think that's Rush Rush Limbaugh who said it. I don't know who says it. My dad says it all the time when he's yelling at the TV yep. without pants. His post presidency. <laughs> um, nice. So Valerie Jarrett, by the way, whose whose family we know are open communists from FBI documents. Uh, this is important to note. Um, Valerie Jarrett's daughter was also recently hired by CNN. To cover Trump in the Justice Department, did you know hmm. this? So Valerie Jarrett, moving in with the Obamas, Valerie Jarrett's daughter hired to CNN to cover Donald Trump. Uh, and and uh, uh, first off, it, it will make one hell of a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Valerie Jarrett moving with the Obamas—that's <laughs> our communist, noted communist—and daughter working with CNN. And people wonder why Americans don't trust uh, the media these days. It, we'll get into that more as far as all of the relationships. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Miss it? I didn't right. know. I didn't know about that <laughs> world one. World premiere,
0: <laughs> world premiere on TBS. They have to compete with Tyler Perry. That's not That's, easy. Yeah, <laughs> That's tough, not easy. Tough stuff right there. Uh, the 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 lead in is Medea says, "Lord, um, <laughs> CNN hires her daughter, moving in with the Obamas." It, it, it gets to a certain point with Chris Cuomo with Wolf Blitzer. Jarrett hired at CNN. You've got to wonder what the hiring practices are even like there.
1: All right. Well, thanks for coming in. Yeah, it's been great talking yeah. to you. I yeah. really yeah. appreciate it. You've got some great experience here. You've worked with yeah. a lot of uh, great news organizations, done some yeah. good stuff. Yeah, so We're gonna, Yeah, thank yeah. you. We're going to talk about this, and I'll be in touch after I discuss it with some people, but I really... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. No kidding. No, yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, you're hired. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're good. Thanks thank for coming you. in. We All appreciate that. Day. Yeah, right, no, great. it's good to have you here. We'll see you see next week. You. Thank All you. right, thank you.
0: I don't know how we get all this exclusive <laughs> footage
1: from the offices. That's, that's
0: part of the leaks. We really—I mean, I tell you what—your support of the Mug Club is really l- leading uh, to a level of professionalism mm. <laughs> unparalleled. <laughs> Anywhere on youtube.com slash Steven Crowder. I don't really know at this point. The one thing is, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, but I don't think people know how entrenched the media is with the DNC, and particularly with the Clintons. It's we bad. can go through a, a few examples here. Uh, George Stephanopoulos. Now, a lot of young people don't know this about George Stephanopoulos. Look at that. First off, he's the third <laughs> member of Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> he's going to be dragged out by a tiger and a leotard very soon. Uh, he was Bill Clinton's communications director. mm mm-hmm. He was a Democratic Party advisor. Now, you know this, I know this, but a lot of people who watch the show who are younger don't know that. This is a guy who's hosting ABC News. He's the host of This Week. Literally worked for the Clintons. You don't need a conspiracy. You don't need to talk about chemtrails or John Podesta uh, with little boys in his basement at a pizza parlor. This actually happened. Donna Brazil. Donna Brazil, of course, Al Gore's campaign manager twice, the interim chairperson for the DNC, caught sneaking debate questions to Hillary Clinton, worked for CNN openly working for CNN as a correspondent. Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd, Democrat campaign staffer, worked on 92, uh, sorry, worked the 92 presidential campaign. I was going to say worked the 92 presidential campaigns. I'm
2: like, he, he, That's he, impressive.
0: He, he must moisturize. He is a yes. go-getter. He worked ni- for the 92, 92- I don't know, I must have had a stroke today. My mouth is not working. The point is, the guy's a Democrat. The point is, the guy's worked for the DNC. The point is, the guy worked for the 92 presidential campaign, and of course, you know, he works over there at NBC, Chuck Todd, and our favorite resident pool boy in chief, Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo, of course, Jeez. has his own show at CNN, and he's the son of the famed New York uh, Democrat governor Mario Cuomo, brother of the current governor Andrew Cuomo. You know this, right? Yeah. Gerald <laughs> Cuomo's everywhere. Uh, <laughs> Chris Cuomo. And, and I, do have a, I tweeted Cuomo's. him. I, I don't know. If, this is a genuine question. Does Chris Cuomo actually still think he's a news anchor or does he consider himself an opinion journalist? I
2: don't know. I- He's got It's got to be opinion, right?
0: No, like, no. He has to know that. I think he considers himself a news anchor. A- and, and uh, I, you know, the reason for this from the left is they operate from this basis, I think, from Chris Cuomo. The only way he could consider himself a news anchor and not an opinion journalist, when he's more opinionated, more slanted than this show. We're just, we're, we're incredibly biased. Don't get me wrong. But at least we try to admit it and explain it and explore what kind of bias we have and where we might be wrong. Chris Cuomo doesn't even allow room for that. And I think he would consider himself a news anchor as opposed to opinion journalist because today's progressive left, it's not necessarily facts or statistics based, but it's just, you know what? I know the way society should work. It should be this way. Therefore, news. You know There are 37 genders. Therefore, (laughs) every single boy who wants to compete as a girl or a girl who wants to take steroids should win female wrestling state titles. We know that society should work where uh, marriage is between whoever wants it to be. Therefore, this is news. We know George Bush was a war criminal. Therefore, news. We know Hillary Clinton was supposed to be the first female president. Therefore, news. And their opinion now, if you base it on that foundation of I know how society should work in New York City better than you do,
2: then you consider it all news. Yeah, even as entrenched as I think we are in our ideas, we hold this principle that maybe we're going to be wrong and we probably won't know it when we are wrong. (laughs) Right. So listening to other people that have a different opinion is pretty good.
0: It is a good idea. Uh, When asked for his opinion uh, as to why people believed he wasn't uh, a legitimate journalist, uh, Chris Cuomo had this to say.
3: Oh, man.
0: He need to calm down, Chris Cuomo. He worked up. He worked up. Yeah. He gets himself too worked up. He does. And I do, as much as I don't like him, I worry about the man's health. Yes. I, I do think, and you know, talking about that too, this idea, exploring it a little deeper, that news reporters who fancy themselves arbiters of how society should work. Therefore, everything's acceptable as news as opposed to opinion. There's this idea that there was a golden age of journalism. And I, I don't know. I feel like I'm one of the few people who maintains that never actually existed. There was never a golden age of journalism, certainly not since the 70s. Walter Cronkite's as bad as anyone there's ever been. He's just as bad as Cuomo. I mean, Walter Cronkite said you can't be a reporter and be a liberal. You can find the quote very easily, but people fancy him as this unbiased journalist. I don't think there's ever—I don't think human beings are capable of unbiased news. Mm. Um, this is entirely my opinion. That's why I have much more respect for people who are open uh, about something on which they're incredibly biased and say this, this is how I justify that worldview. Because I feel as though Chris Cuomo, Wolf Blitzer, uh, take your pick. They're all trying to justify the worldview. They're all trying to reinforce it, but some do so under the guise of news. Am, am
2: I alone in that? No, I respect people that give me an opportunity to see a reasonable case made for somebody else's opinion, even though I may disagree and think they're idiots. Yeah. But it's a reasonable presentation, not like some nut job on the left or the right. Yeah. So. Yeah,
0: I, think, I, I think I think it's important, by the way, to see the difference, note the difference. Not K. Jared talked about this during the, the show. Uh, Pitch meeting, where he was much more talkative than today. Apparently, a, a cat literally scraped out his tongue. He's like that, that, that uh, dummy lady in Dead Silent. Um, you know, no one here watches horror movies. That's right. You're all pansies. I forgot about this. <laughs> you all hide under the covers and watch reruns of Three's Company, which is also why you're under the covers. Oh. Suzanne Summers. Oh. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have these people who come in and then you throw these buzzwords out. This is what worries me a little bit about the modern sort of alt-right, quasi-conservative populism movement, where people go, oh man, corporate media. Now, we just exposed and we just talked about the media and how biased they are. Um, and, and I totally agree with that. But if you throw out the corporate media, yeah, that's a problem. But you would prefer government media? I mean, you have these same people out mm-hmm. there who have Trump in their, in their avatar, Pepe the Frog, and then they go, BBC Man or NPR, that's, are you out of your tree, sir? <laughs> <laughs> BBC, the government funded media, we talked about this, Canada literally had two parts, NDP and the Liberal Party, Justin Trudeau won, I can't remember who promised what, I think it was Justin Trudeau promised another hundred million dollars to CBC, the Canadian, <laughs> the, the government funded news entity in Canada, <laughs> nice. uh, if he won, guess who won, <laughs> Justin Trudeau. Smart man. And yeah. for some reason people assume NPR is somehow unbiased, just because they're boring. Mm-hmm. That's one thing, too, if you say that people like to assume passion equals dishonesty, right? And somehow if you're sitting there talking about, you know, your lesbian folk trio on NPR that people are like, oh, you know, this is unbiased. And that's one thing, if you guys have been listening to NPR, they have the worst slant of anyone out there. If you think that is damn fine reporting, you need a CAT scan. It's the exact same thing <laughs> where it just, they operate under the assumption of the liberal premise,
4: right? They operate under the assumption of, well, gender, of course, has nothing to do with uh, biology.
0: One's gender is not determined. Determined by one sex, and they'll go on. And you're like, if you just don't understand what you're hearing, you go, yeah. NPR sounds like they're factual mm-hmm. because this, this. I mean, why would why would they broadcast anything this boring if it weren't <laughs> factual? <laughs>
2: I want to see the number of car wrecks associated with NPR listenership. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. <laughs> I fell asleep off. Although, the, and you know, same thing, too. We can't compete with NPR's podcast. Everyone's like, oh, their, their podcast, Serial, is always at the top. Mm-hmm. Well, of course it's at the top. No one else. These are independent podcasts. We can't compete against a never ending supply of federal funding. <laughs> it's like, Serial is number one. Oh, how much did you get from the government? Nah, 19 trillion
2: zillion dollars. <laughs> I can see why.
0: Yeah. Well, no wonder you're beating Joe Rogan, dicks. My point is this, Uh, I, I really think it's just important, instead of just under the blind assumption that this person is biased, this person is not biased, we always tell you that we are biased. But be aware of what you're watching and be able to parse it yourselves. If you look at the connection with the media, there's no denying that they lean left. But the same thing if you tune into a Sean Hannity, who at this point effectively acts as a surrogate for Donald Trump. And I like Donald Trump, and I actually like Sean Hannity. You need to be aware of what you're watching. The golden age in journalism, I don't think it ever existed. I just don't think people were aware of what it was that they were consuming. We'll talk more about that after this break. Then Jordan Beers and Owen Benjamin, my voice is going high. That means break.
4: Welcome to another installment of The Reasonable Conversationalist on NPR. This week, we are joined by William Jarrett, Valerie Jarrett's husband. Thank you for being with us, William. Thank you for having me. Now, William, um, of course, you've been uh, working with your wife in politics for years on uh, on the equal rights on which we all agree for the LGBTQAI community, correct?
0: Yes, that's correct. Fascinating.
4: And, and truly is a civil rights uh, struggle of our time uh, on which all Americans can agree. How can we uh, best move forward, of course, in, in uh, assuring that none of us will, for example, misgender one of the current 57 available offerings.
0: Well, I just think that you should probably ask them what they p- prefer to be called.
4: Well, that sounds entirely reasonable. Join us again next week for another installment of the Reasonable Conversationals on NPR.
0: Sound guy dance. Hey, <laughs> hey,
3: hey! That's um, not gonna, that's not gonna I think he was down.
0: inspired by this, so he was just pointing pistols at you. <laughs> yes, at G. Morgan Jr. Well, that's Jr. not nice. It's actually, not very nice. Yeah. It's not. At this point, I actually have a pistol in my office, aimed squarely at the sound guy. It's, it's,
2: it's on a stand.
1: Just have a button. I, like, you can I don't want to aim it.
0: That's the truth. You're never supposed to aim a gun at somebody. Yeah. But if you have a gun
1: in a room, anywhere. It's always aimed at somebody. Oh, yeah. I always cross the front of mine. If I'm in the bathroom, technically, it would go through the wall. Right. <laughs> but it's there. Right. And I feel better about it. I sleep, I, mean, better, my, my... I sleep better knowing it's there.
0: My AR-15 would take out the pool guy. He wouldn't even <laughs> see it coming. <laughs> awesome. It's aimed at the wall. Like it's aimed at the wall. It's not aimed at anybody. If it's aimed at Edward,
1: it's aimed at me, too. It's well, true. Yeah. Son of a...
0: Yeah, it's loaded with hollow point 38s at this point. It's not going <laughs> to overpenetrate. Edward's a, Edward's a thick enough fellow. It's a 39 fellow. caliber magazine. Yeah, if it were Jared sitting there, that would be not Jared. Were there would be much more of a problem. You'd both be taken out. Yeah, right? yeah, that's true. It'd be like going through a magazine and then into yeah. a paperback. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, Edward would stop it. Uh, speaking about the media, and, and listen, I'm amazed if the media wants to talk about you know being banned, right? CNN, they were they were banned. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I'm amazed that there's no commentary right now on this co- on this from Europe. Do you see this with Marie Le Pen? Oh, jeez. So, Marie yeah. Le Pen, uh, France, obviously, listen, undoubtedly a flawed human being, Marie Le Pen. So, first off, yeah. don't expect us to defend everything that Marie Le Pen has done. But this story here, for those who don't understand, uh, l- let me clarify it for you. Let me break this down so that then we can talk about it. In 2015, Le Pen tr- tweeted out some gruesome pictures of what ISIS actually does, mm-hmm. it, it, specifically what they did to uh, the American reporter, um, Foley. J- J- Foley. That's it, James yeah. Foley. So, the socialist left in Europe, Europe European Parliament, just voted to retroactively, now there's, there's immunity I guess applied to certain people, to politicians, uh, where you're not allowed to post certain kinds of images. Basically mm-hmm. it's an infringement on free speech. There is an immunity yeah. that applies to uh, certain politicians, to, to, to certain figureheads in Europe. Okay, so this applied to Marie Le Pen. It applied to Marie Le Pen in 2015 when she tweeted these images out. European Parliament elected to retroactively remove her immunity so they can now prosecute her for a crime in 2015, which was totally legal in 2015. <laughs> and what was her crime? Free speech. Free
2: speech. Tweeting yeah. out something that actually happened.
1: They weren't classified pictures. There weren't anything like that. It was. It was no. It was no. public.
2: Yeah, they weren't classified pictures. Yeah. You could, you could actually find the images on Google. She didn't know who it was at the time that she was tweeting out. And when the family contacted her, she immediately removed it. Right. So uh. she, she did everything right, it seems.
0: Well, hey, listen, and again, she's a flawed person. I don't know where her heart was with that. But she has a real problem with Islamic terrorism, as do I. And she was trying to showcase them for the evil that they are.
2: You'd be in jail. Yeah, I would be You'd in jail. You definitely would be in jail.
0: Well, if I were in Europe. Yeah. So l- l- let's apply this to the United States. And, and, and again... You know, you have the the media with CNN, and they were furious that they weren't allowed into Trump's uh, impromptu press conference. He called it an impromptu press gaggle, and I talked about that Monday. Have a problem with it. I think CNN is incredibly biased, but as a conservative, I don't believe that we should be in the business of banning any voices. I want to see more. Rather than banning CNN or Politico or New York Times, I'd love to see Donald Trump keep them there and then include new voices. That's what I wanna see. Uh So I talked about that. I've tried to be consistent with that. But if CNN is going to complain about not being allowed into an impromptu press gaggle, let's, if this were in the United States, let's apply what this were. Imagine that you, uh, in 2015, uh, committed an entirely legal act. Okay, you spoke out. You spoke out, and you said something that was unpopular. It wasn't even racist, but it was based on something that had actually happened, uh, a, a news event that was offensive. Mm-hmm. Picture this: you did that in 2015. It's entirely legal today because people don't like what you have to say. Political opponents retroactively vote to make that illegal and remove your ability to speak freely based on something you mm. did in
1: 2015. Pam McGill- McGill- Geller would be in a uh, jail cell before noon. Yes. Yeah. And, like and not the padded room no. that some
0: would suggest. Um, <laughs> I actually like Pamela Geller, but when she yeah. appears on media, she, she sometimes she seems she's like she's like what? Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, whoa. Easy. Calm, Calm down, down <laughs> Pamela. Yes. Decaf, you and Cuomo. Decaf. Need, you and Cuomo need to get in the same relaxation program. Yeah. <laughs> are, are you amazed that we haven't heard? N- I, no one's talking
2: about I'm this. I'm shocked program. because this is this is only a political hit job. So you can ask the European Union can be asked to take away the immunity from anybody who's not performing parliamentary functions, right? Mm-hmm. If it's an illegal thing. That's what they did. They said this is not a parliamentary function that she was performing. Yeah. She spoke out. By the at- way, parliament serves no function. Continue. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I guess this is an oxymoron. Yeah, whatever. But anyway, she she was voted on by political people that are opponents of hers. Right. Of course she pissed all of them off. And of course they're like, well, we don't like you, and this is a really easy way for us to get rid of you. She's arguing, though, that that was her fighting. Show she was just showing is that this is what Islam is all about. Right. This is what this group is about. And yeah. now she's paying the price.
0: Well, I think they're thinking, hey, you know what? This broad could win this thing. That's what I think is really going on. Yeah, it just so happens that her numbers are going way up yeah. right now. As a result of this. And they yeah. don't understand. It's like they're giving her a gift. Yeah. Like, listen, she is an abrasive person, Marie Le Pen. I think she's got b- a brass pair. And again, I don't agree with everything she does, but when she, sometimes I, ha- when she walked in with the, uh, was it the, uh, was it the ambassador, the Iranian ambassador? Mm. When she walked in, they wanted her to wear a headscarf. She's walked in, no. and it, it, like, it wasn't even a second thought. She's like, no, I'm not wearing that. Yeah. I'm like, Are you wear her. No. You wet or you go home. Bye. I have an incredible amount of respect for that. I don't have to agree with her about everything. By the way, someone who can be, uh, I'm not saying she's an abhorrent person at all. I'm saying someone, let's say you were to take someone who's like the worst racist in the world. It doesn't mean that they can't be right about something. And I'm not saying that Marie Le Pen is the worst racist in the world. I'm saying even if you don't agree with everything that she has to say, She's not wrong about everything. And in this instance, this is a there, there are lines in the sand for freedom of speech. And for the left to constantly line up against it, you need to see what's happening in Europe. And here's what's so important about that. People say, well, that wouldn't happen in the States. But Bernie Sanders wants us to be like Europe. Nancy Pelosi wants us to be like Europe. Hillary Clinton wants us to be like Europe. And guess what? You cannot remove from that. You cannot extract from Europe just the socialism policies. You can't extract the fiscal authoritarianism while removing the free speech authoritarianism. You can't say, we want to be like Europe and talk about a uh, income tax rate or whatever it is or talk about what's going on in Norway or talk about what's going on in Iceland You cannot say that and then say but you know we want to keep our freedom of speech Europe as a whole It's an ecosystem and because of the economic authoritarianism. It has to rely on cultural authoritarianism You can't take it. You can't buffet this thing And that's one thing where a lot of people who are moving along the trail like I'm anti-social justice warrior But I like Bernie Sanders socialism. This is where it leads always Always, you can find me zero historical examples of it not ending this way.
2: And lots of people typically die too. So this is yeah, true. That's, that's, lots that's of people typically bad. die.
0: <laughs> or Bernie Sanders, breadlines.
4: When you think about them, are actually a good thing. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, they're not, Bernie. What do you mean?
1: By the way, did you see Venezuela's down to like the last couple bucks? Yeah. <laughs> that was in the news. Yeah. Of and borrowed b- money. Yeah. They're yeah. yeah. Bitcoin <laughs> now. Bernie Sanders
0: looking at him going, Why don't you just bake up some more rye? <laughs> Speaking of things I hate about the press, let's move along. Uh, An alternative response to Trump's address to Congress on Tuesday. This is Making the Rounds. It's very popular because of Vox. Uh, It came from a Latino woman in Spanish talking about immigrants, talking about Donald Trump's racist policy against Mexicans. And uh, no, by the way, we're not talking about uh, the uh, statement, the brilliant statement that Conan O'Brien made in broadcasting from Mexico. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know what the point was. That doesn't show the whole story, by the way. They didn't show you what happened (laughs) after the show uh, when he was going back to his hotel, what happened between the show and the hotel. We usually have better Photoshop jobs than that. <laughs> I will say, even, even for us, I need to formally apologize. Jeez. Uh, no, it was dreamer and activist. Her name is Astrid Silva. Gave a response in Spanish on Telemundo and Univision. Two things I hate. As a dreamer, Uh, She wrote this and they the left is telling us as a bold message for Latinos She wrote in this country. There is no space for discrimination racial profiling or persecution But sadly this is what the Trump administration has brought forth for Latino and immigrants Um, Do you does anyone want to take a take a crack as to why (laughs) this is false? Uh,
2: this, This is too easy right like I feel like this is a trick question.
0: It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. Oh, boy. It's not like common core math where it's like, what's two uh, plus two? And you're like, four? Or like, it's 492, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no. Show your work. Yeah. They're saying he's against Latinos and immigrants. Let's, yeah. let's think. Hold on. Let's think for a second. It doesn't seem like Donald Trump hates immigrants because his wife is an immigrant. And he has <laughs> plenty of immigrants who are either married into his family or immigrants who he works with. He seems to have a lot of respect for immigrants. So let's think. If it's clear that he doesn't necessarily hate all immigrants, what is the problem that he has if he's talking about building a wall in immigration policy? Hmm. Can anyone, can anyone think about it?
2: Huh.
0: Send us your comments right now. Tweet me at S Crowder. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be that there's some sort of a delineation, perhaps? <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing this until someone pipes up. Apparently, Jared and Gerald are. <laughs> I'm
1: gonna. I'm gonna take a stab. I'm taking a stab. Riskier. I guess there's a delineation between legal and illegal immigrants. Oh, there
3: you oh,
2: go. Oh, yeah. I know. Oh. I waited so long, and I knew the answer oh. the whole time.
1: It's science, bitch. <laughs> Uh,
0: it, it, is, it is remarkable, this is a sleight of hand you see from the left all the time, and they continue to do it, and people aren't buying it. It's like, Donald Trump hates immigrants. Here's the deal, Donald Trump came out and he made some, some, some comments about Mexicans at one point that were poorly worded. They're not said it their best, they're said rapists, and it's like, ah. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, Don, and I, listen, I know Donald doesn't mean to say that all Mexicans are rapists, and that's what they tried to run with, but it was poorly worded. Rather than jump on that, now they're going, he hates all immigrants. So they've squandered the lead that they had because people (laughs) are going, well, hold on a second. He clearly doesn't hate all immigrants. He just has a problem with what illegal immigration. Hold on a second. I voted for Hillary, but yeah, I don't like that either. I don't like illegal immigration either. Is is it me? Am I racist?
1: You did Obama like six years ago. Six (laughs) years ago.
0: It it is the fundamental delineation. And this is why, just throw it out. It's really easy to end this debate. When this happens really you don't need to get into it unless you accept that there's a delineation between illegal and legal immigrants Don't even engage in the discussion when someone says, well Donald Trump hates immigrants or when they say well building a wall is anti-immigrant just say no Illegal immigrant (sighs) People aren't illegal. Okay, you prefer the word criminal?
2: (laughs) Criminal immigrant. Yes
0: that could work. That's what they say, right? They're like, people are not illegal. Acts are illegal. Okay,
2: illegal acts committed by a criminal. <laughs> well, you said this last time we were talking about about a year ago. Not in Trump, but we were talking about it in general. You said, look, we're either a nation of laws or we're not. Right. One way or the other. Pick. Yeah,
0: <laughs> pick. And, and, and while we're at it, while you pick, um, we found this, this public service video, a children's video, actually, which hopefully yeah. we'll be able to drill it into your noggins, uh, exactly how to make the delineation between it's legal tough and illegal. I hope this is informative. I'm legal. And I'm illegal. I follow the law, respected the process, you see. I just came here illegally. To some, immigration is nuanced, almost subliminal. Don't look at me. I'm just a criminal. I work to skill trade and pay legal taxes. I just came here to sell all the cracks. I came here on a work visa, then took my naturalization oath. One time, I killed a guy. It seems you're confused. Let's play a game. You ask if it's legal, then I will explain. Okay. Paying state tax. Legal. Selling
5: cocaine. Illegal. Buying a TV. Legal. Stealing a TV. Illegal. Protesting the government. Legal. Killing a guy in the government. Illegal. Kidnapping
0: you for ransom, Illegal. I'm still going to do. Wait, what?
5: An ode to the homemaker. Though ladies' work is often thought to be less meaningful, less fulfilling, and less productive than that of her hard-working male counterpart, the weaker sex earns her keep through the daily task of food preparation. Ensuring your hubby is fully satisfied is a daunting task. But how does she do it? What's her secret to ensuring 100% satisfaction morning, noon, and night? TheLadderWithCryder.com slash mugclub. Little lady's favorite helper for only $99 annually. 69 for students and veterans. The Mug Club is clinically proven to enhance the aroma and flavor of all beverages and soups by 64%. No more fat lips for you. You too can enjoy these clinically proven results as well as daily programming at louderwithcratter.com slash mug club. No more fat lips.
0: I didn't do the kata for this one because I I feel like I've been educating people on the art of kata too much Uh, actually very excited to have this next guest because when I grew up and I was starting in comedy I knew who he was Mm -hmm. and watched him with my brother back when MySpace was still a thing Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Owen Benjamin he has the podcast Why Didn't They Laugh good stuff and uh, big fan Owen Benjamin thank you for being on the show sir
6: Thanks for having me. I'm
0: a fan of yours as well. Oh, don't say that because then I'll get a big head and this show will begin to suck. Uh, <laughs> I'll be like Not K. Jared at that point. People say, why Why are you still gainfully employed? Um, I watched you back when you did the fanny pack song. we were just talking about this. First off, let me just. There's no way to off air. Okay, let's just talk about
1: what happened. Let's
0: just talk there's about no way to. <laughs> so we were preparing the shot, and Owen Benjamin was on the other side of Skype, and we're sitting there, and I, we see this black. <laughs> in his teeth now it's not super clear I have a small monitor and my producer is going is that food in his teeth so for two minutes we were trying to work around it we're knocking Jared saying hey Owen can back you change up, the lighting, you back up with the back camera up? a little bit because we weren't sure if he had a space in his teeth or it was food and then finally we're googling I- image searches <laughs> does he have that space in his teeth and I ask him Owen do you have any food in your teeth oh yeah it was pizza <laughs>
6: Yeah, yeah, you guys are like just for lighting. Can you quickly get braces for
0: four years? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you go get your retainer for us and call us that's back that. in eight months? Uh, well, good. That's one of your best features too, your teeth. So look at that.
1: That really worked out. Look at that. Yeah, look at that. Very healthy. How much would he have hated us if we let him do that? Though we're like we're like best friends. <laughs> I know. That's you guys the, back. Well, that's the challenge. And then
6: and then all and then all these dudes with. Uh, Spaces in their teeth come to my shows because I'm like the brave one, and then they find out I don't really have
0: one. (laughs) (laughs) Man, if he can do it, all of us can make it. It's kind of like redheads. And then they get to the end of the rainbow, and they realize there's no pot of gold for you redheads. No. Um, No. So, uh, Owen... you reach we were, i found out you were tweeting me and uh, you know i by the way do you remember tom vrab did you ever did you ever do stand up with him he used to work in la a bit he was kind of doing open mics and coming up and he was a big fan of yours and like kyle Dunnigan.
6: yeah love kyle Dunnigan.
0: Yeah. So maybe you don't remember Tom, but I remember just that was kind of an era. There was you, Kyle Dunnigan. Um, gosh. I
6: remember Tom. I, I totally remember Tom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't I wonder what happened to him. You remember those friends who were like, oh, man, I wonder what happened to him. You know. He was a funny guy. And then, you most know, of them yeah. hate me now. <laughs> that's just kind of the nature of comedy. I'm sure Owen, see, you know, a lot of people think, oh, comedians are silly. But the work ethic required, I mean, for someone to reach your level of success in this industry, most of the people you've known in your career by this point have probably just dropped off and you're still there. That's a huge part of it.
6: Yeah, it's a, it's almost like a mental optical illusion that you think everyone just keeps succeeding because you're only really paying attention to those people. If you just start thinking of all the funny people you've known and how few of them get to Madison Square Garden, it's pretty hilarious.
0: This is true. <laughs> now, you've played the Garden? Is that what you're saying?
6: No, I haven't. No, I'm okay. one of the people that haven't. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Let's
1: uh, yeah. uh, exactly like this is going real. Well,
6: I did just do a, a tour in England with the Impractical Jokers, though and uh, i got to do uh 10 20,000 which is insane
1: oh wow now that's your favorite show right Not KG? i i used to love i, I love the first season The first season <sighs> was really good i felt like it got a little repetitive as it went on yeah but it was i, I it was really funny Not KG, Super- and i had some
0: disagreements on comedy and some of the impractical joker bits were some of them were the ones i thought was fun were funny he didn't find funny and then also the the greatest crime against humanity not K. Jared finds Jimmy Fallon funny, so I don't know how this. I don't know how this happened. I think Jimmy, Jimmy. No way!
6: What's going on, man? <laughs> hey, I'm Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> right? right. <laughs> like, just shut up. <laughs> I don't think. It, I don't
1: know if he's funnier. I but I think his show is more entertaining than, say, Kimmel's. Yeah. I think it's more entertaining to watch the Kimmel's. Kimmels. Kimmel's gotten old to me.
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just I did. Well, there's also Conan is still around too. There are other programs you're yeah. aware of this.
1: It's non-binary. But we talked about Conan.
0: Okay, so speaking ahead. of non-binary, sorry, now we have a guest here, Owen Benjamin. So he was tweeting back and forth. You have been going after the Hollywood leftist elite on Twitter, and I just wasn't aware of it. You don't live in L.A. anymore, correct? You just you you removed yourself from that situation.
6: Yeah, because I had a baby, and I just uh, it, it's just safer here, and it's closer to family, and I just, you know, I like it up here. But uh, I always have been. I did a tweet a few years ago where I'm like, I came to LA a liberal and now I'm a conservative and none of my opinions changed. Right, yeah. yeah. It's almost like an outrage Ponzi scheme that went to the <laughs> point where like, I didn't relate, cause I was never really into politics. I right. just, I'm into free speech and, you know, uh, just stuff that makes America great. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and, there you and, go. and stuff that makes my job possible. Right. And you know, you're from Canada. I used to live in the Czech Republic. So it's like, I think there's certain people that can see the outcome of government control to a ridiculous degree. Right. And it scares you a little bit. Like a comedian can be sued in Canada. Yes. Well, we had him on, know, Mike and, Ward. In the yeah. Czech Republic, you go into a store and, and they still don't understand the, like trying to sell things. Right. So like, I, I've always been very wary of socialism and things like that. And then yeah. on the social front, I don't, you know, I love Thomas Sowell, the uh, economist. Oh yeah, wrote, sure. Uh, yeah, Black Redneck White Liberals, one of my favorite books, and um, very conservative uh, economist. And people called him racist, even though he's black from Harlem in 1930. Yeah. And I'm like there's something wrong here man like you guys are like not right in the head anymore
0: yeah I mean Harlem back then we always say this about Ben Carson like he's he he's playing he's playing pro ball for the black team he's not yeah. in the minor pros he's not B league right Harlem kind of like like uh, Ben Carson he was from Detroit single mother and tried to stab her but she was saved by her belt buckle this guy totally. has the black Classic. experience you know <laughs> but for some reason they don't apply it because of their opinions.
6: Right, same with uh, Clarence Thomas. Got like massacred by Ted Kennedy and a bunch of other "quote-unquote" uh, privileged white liberals because you know, and his grandfather was like a sharecropper. You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> I just don't understand. Like I started seeing, and my parents are professors, but they were from like you know they taught at like Jesuit colleges and stuff, so they had that like moral background that I yeah. think a lot of professors don't currently have, and they don't know what to make of all of it either. They're like, I call them liberals, like it ends in a question mark. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, is that, because is, they don't relate anymore to the party. They don't relate that every minority is a victim just for existing, that the constitution doesn't matter, that censorship is, is good if it like, hurts people's feelings. Like, You know, I was doing a bit about how um, a lot of the progressives, I call them indoor cats, and and I do this long bit about it and I start realizing I could at first like it was fine like Hollywood laughed and then it got to the point where it's like it became almost political and I'm like no this is about culture right like our culture can't become this monster of like no one can speak and everyone's judged based on what victim group they're in and And so that's why I just can't call myself a liberal. And 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 that's
0: what's crazy about the entertainment industry. Think about it, right? Um, Until like, hashtag Oscar's so white. As a general rule, comedy and the entertainment industry is a pretty good example of a meritocracy. If you're the best comedian, you 100%. tend to do better actors. And then now they're going, oh, crap. We got to give the award to the gay black midget. Oh. Otherwise, people, there's going to be a march. Um, and, and and it's it's changed. And, and com- the thing is, for me, I was talking with Nick DiPaolo about this. I think a lot of comedians who were successful from that generation were, you know, Lenny Bruce, liberal. Bill Hicks, liberal, but free speech advocates. So they right. still think in the clubs. They're like, no, no, and stand up, it's still a bastion of free speech. I'm going, you don't live in the world today, where the people who paved the way weren't Lenny Bruce or Bill Hicks. It's Amy Schumer and it's Sarah Silverman who are now closing the door behind them for free speech. That's why people are going online and stand up is sort of becoming uh, the PC brigade. If you look at people at
1: the top,
6: Mm. I I totally agree. And it's like, I I don't think anyone can say what's funny, you know, where it's like, Oh, that's not funny. It's like, I'll show you a thousand people laughing. Like it's not funny to you. And, and, and I don't think people have the right to do that. And a lot of these PC brigade upper echelon people used to be free speech, and now yeah. they, they're shifting. Yeah. And that's what I'm like, the way that a lot of them, like I used to love Sarah Silverman when she would be very irreverent and very, you know, she'd talk about how... um you know, just her irreverent jokes. And well, now she had a she bit, I remember
0: she talked about the like Christian Children's Fund, like those, those sort of save African children. And she was like, and ah, I was like, oh my God, who's allowing these kids to get pregnant? Because they all had like the bellies. And I was like, right. oh, she was cringe shock humor. And now she's mad at people simply for voting Donald Trump, claiming it's hate speech. I just, I can't get my mind around it.
6: That's another thing that got to me. It's like people would rather overthrow the government than have a president they don't agree with. Like that to me is shocking. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you can not like Trump, but just realize he was democratically elected, you know, and you just gotta go with that. And, and it's just, they started talking very scary to me. And yeah. that's why I don't really, I'm not gonna pretend I agree with any of those things.
0: Well, have you been shunned since you've, because I know you, you say you've always sort of had these views, but you've become more outspoken about them, certainly on, on social media. Was it one of those things for you, for me, this is what happened. I was always this way. And I found out pretty quickly, if people find out at all about my views, I mean, I had a, a manager drop me. I had an agent drop me. I had publicists who wouldn't touch it once they saw some of the things that I had said. I said, you know what? I've got to, I've got to run with this because I can't put that genie back in a bottle. Is that what happened with you? And do you feel that you've had some friends or people who you consider open-minded who, who've shunned you since they found out about your views?
6: Yeah, for me, it's, uh, it, it was being on Sullivan & Son on TBS because it was produced by Vince Vaughn and starring Steve Byrne. Uh, Roy Wood Jr., Ahmed, Ahmed all these people. And it was so multicultural, but not in that left-victim-y way. Right. And we got no <clears throat> love from, like, and we're the number one show on TBS when it was on. And there was, you know, media didn't get behind it. They didn't talk about the triumph of, of a Korean star. Wait, is that they is that number one about... outside
0: of Tyler Perry? Is it kind of like the Bible's always the number one bestseller, so they don't even include it on the list anymore? Or were you beating <laughs> uh, Tyler Perry's uh, Medea Goes Boo?
6: Oh, that's hilarious. No, uh, well, that's the thing. We didn't have much going against us. We had the uh, reruns of Big Bang, but oh, okay. You know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, oh, don't get Nigel Jared
0: started. He <laughs> hates the Big Bang theory. Don't. Let's just Jared. We'll talk about that another time. We, the guest doesn't have that much time.
6: And uh, and so I just uh, I just saw that it was hypocritical, and I I got into comedy because I'm not good at lying. Like I'm just. It's not in my nature to kind of pretend I'm something I'm not. And. I, I I still don't really consider myself very political. I right. just can't agree with uh, this whole like uh, identity politics and limiting of free speech and all the stuff that I have so much pride in being American for. And Wait, I just think white that,
0: pride. Did I just hear white pride? You cis white male.
6: It's. I love being white. When cops pull me over, they just high five me.
0: <laughs> I know. For me, they just give me dumplings, which they stole off an Asian who they shook down earlier. I'm like, what are you doing? This is fantastic.
6: They give me their gun. It's great. Yeah, I
0: know. It is. That was one thing that really upset my dad. Uh, well, you're. You so. You were. You. How long did you spend? Uh, what portion of your life in the Czech Republic?
6: Uh, I was there for a year, uh, 1999.
0: Oh, okay. I thought. Now, are your parents uh, from there?
6: No, I was a World War II history major, and I really wanted to study history wow. there. And, yeah.
0: I thought he was an immigrant. Here, I was like, oh, really? I didn't know about that one, Benjamin. Oh
6: no, not at all. I just went there and lived there, and like, just being in that environment, I, I realized that government control is not good.
0: Well, speaking of third world countries, my dad was raised in Detroit, so for, for him, he got so pissed when Bernie Sanders said, you know, that that white people can't really know what it's like to struggle, and he was there. Divorced family, you know, his dad was in the military, so uh, not a wealthy family by any means, in Detroit proper, by the way, in the, in the area that people like to claim they're from. He was actually inside of 8 Mile in Detroit proper, and uh, divorced family, was part of the racial integration busing system, got his ass kicked day in and day out because he was white. There was a lot of racial tension, and, uh, and his, his saving grace was hockey. He was, he was a really good hockey player. I got to play at U of M. That's what pulled him out of it. And yeah. so he goes, yeah, do I think that maybe I've enjoyed some advantages that other people haven't? You can say attribute it to being white. Maybe, but I also think that other people have had privileges that I haven't had being raised to a divorced family in inner city Detroit uh, in a lower middle class household. It's called life. And he got so mad about that. But it seems that even people his age, when he talks with his friends who are black, they feel the same way. It's like, welcome to the world, population, earth, plus you now, once you understand it.
6: Yeah. My mother's father was a, a lead miner with seven fingers and oh, she was God. one of the first people to go to college from her town you know it's like and that's why i love thomas sowell you'd love this book black redneck oh yeah White. i've read oh, it yeah oh yeah where it's about how life just isn't fair sometimes and it's more about culture than it is uh race
3: the right fact,
6: race is almost no factor like you know nigerian americans make more than caucasian americans it's about a certain type of Culture that doesn't value education, promotes violence, promote, you know. what's well, it's also inviting. because I sent their
0: prince all that money. <laughs> what's that? I said, it's also because I sent their prince all that money. So there's some That's trickle down. He tricked me too. Yeah, I know. Remember that one? That was new. It was like we all had email We're like oh my gosh someone sent me an email and you're like oh wow this is kind of like a pen pal there's, a, there's that no one wants to admit it but when it first started all of us probably almost fell for at least one of them
6: hmm. dude i almost fell for it like a month ago <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah or you're forwarding that picture like have you seen this dog on steroids you're like no that's clearly a photoshop Yeah, <laughs> i know i remember i remember it with myspace you know it's funny back then um I, got in, I remember a lot of comedians got really mad. Uh, I had been doing stand-up for six months. But I was doing stand-up. I did my first open mic. Within three months, I was doing an hour. Now, not, an, not a good hour. What happened was someone asked me to co-host a talent show at a university with them in Montreal, or a college, sorry. And I said, OK. And I did well enough there that the guy who booked the colleges said, hey, how come I never heard of you? You, you? You headline around here? And I said, yes. And he said, "Okay, come back and do 40 minutes in a month. And then when I got that, I booked about four or five different colleges within that week. because I said, well, I'm doing Dawson College. They're having me do 45 minutes. And I play them off one another. So I got a lot of experience really quickly. I mean, think about doing five one-hour shows in the span of two weeks. Most people starting out don't get that kind of experience for years, because you're scraping together five-minute clips. So this is before MySpace. I put my my, my stuff up on MySpace. And a talent scout had no idea who I was. Said, hey, do you want to audition for the Just for Laughs? And I did, and I got in. And I remember comedians being so pissed. And, and again, I remember just as, the, as a conservative thinking, like, "Well, isn't this good? Doesn't this mean that you can get in next year? It doesn't matter how oh, long really. you've been doing it." And, and instead, they were mad.
6: Yeah, it's like this zero-sum game mentality that, like, it's almost like the race to the bottom type thing, where it's 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 you you almost latch on to the least talented people because it makes you feel better about yourself when. Like I always liked friends that were very successful and did well because I fed off that energy. Yeah. And I just I just don't relate to the, to that that, quote unquote progressive. It's not progressive. It is regressive. Yeah. And it's gotten to a point where, it it, it just doesn't make sense anymore. And that that will probably affect my career. Even just leaving affects your career. Just just being like I have a family. I want to raise my family near my family. Uh, but I don't really care. You know, I make money on the road. I got a book. I'm writing a book. I do podcasts. It's all about yeah. family.
0: Well, tell, tell me, let us know when your book comes out. And speaking of, you know, having people who elevate you, I need to reevaluate why I let Not Gay Jared hang around this show. Do something with your <laughs> life. Good Lord, Not Gay okay. Jared. Um, it's true. It really is true. It's, it's, and there's this sort of, there was at one point, and I felt this way. I don't know if you felt this way. It was hard for you leaving Los Angeles. And I think it's a smart decision, raising a family, getting out of the intolerance. But a big part of stand-up comedians, right, Uh, Their identity is in stand-up And so there's like this hierarchy like man if you don't do If you're not on the road grinding out with clubs Whereas most of them would rather be Bill Burr Doing giant theaters you know not having to do that Or or have a career like you have um, Where you have a sustainable audience But there's this idea that unless you're sticking Like this is the only pure form Of entertainment and and I think that's Changing a lot like you said you can do podcasts You can do things online where you don't have Club bookers or show bookers With stand-up it has become so Vanilla to me when I tune in to a comedy showcase on television, I can almost, if there's going to be a political joke, I can tell you exactly what it's going to be and I can tell you which subjects they'll touch on to be politically incorrect while avoiding the real subjects they're not allowed to talk about. Is it just me when I watch those?
6: No, you're 100%. And, and uh, Conservatives seem to understand uh, uh, business better when it comes to that's a disadvantage in business. Anytime you're not going for funny as possible, that means there is a market opening up because you're not Trying to be funny or trying to appease some overlord, you know? Right. So that's why I, d- I don't mind uh, appealing to the audience that I want to appeal to and then just finding the shows that, uh, you know, I can get. It's, it, it actually pays better sometimes.
0: Yeah, it and, does. Once yeah. you free yourself from the ego of like, yeah, but if I leave LA, I don't have all the cool kids. You know what I mean? There is that part, I think, for a lot of people that's really hard to do um, just to get out of it. It's like the mob.
6: I know, but the the weird thing is though is they're still like the good ones are still my boys, like right. And and you all you tell who your friends are by that, where it, it doesn't really matter how you feel about. Like okay, here's a perfect example. Uh, your ability of debate, like I don't want to blow up your head, but my dad teaches debate, like he's a rhetoric professor. Okay. And it's like you're just crushing. Like i I listen to you with Michael Ian Black, and I'm like, Uh-oh. any moderator knows he, like, Stephen won. Like, there isn't even a debate. And I'm like, I always thought the left was the one that had, like, science and logic and it's becoming absolutely not bad at all
4: no
0: and, and and with Michael Ian Black I will say it got heated more heated than I would like uh and we'll have him back on the show but um you know I don't I really honestly if you if you want to talk about debate look to someone like Ben Shapiro he's amazingly skilled I, I will say for this for sure I, I genuinely not get Jared knows this when we have someone on who's who I disagree with I do research to see what their views are. And I genuinely try and conduct a debate. First off, the rule is Nakajir is not allowed to jump in at all. No one else. That's because it's not fair to doggy pile. That's my rule. He can't bring up something for me and research it you know, and be my never-ending assistant. It just is me and that person. And I genuinely am trying to get to the truth. Because if I'm wrong, I want to know it. And um, if you listen to some of our debates, there's been some common ground that could be found. But not with, like, Christopher Titus, you know, where it was the gun debate. And he's like, why don't you care about dead kids? Or Michael in right. Black going, isn't one rape too many? One rape is rape culture. Like, that's not the same thing.
6: It's the worst possible straw man you can possibly do. Where it's like, that's why I'm having a hard time with, with that side. Because it's like, it's almost like they're not trying to learn. They're trying to win. Right. And, and I, I, I want to go into a debate where if someone makes a great point, it's like, oh, wow, thank you for clearing that up. Right. Like, I was making a horrible mistake. Yes. Yeah. You know?
0: I was wrong. Like You're correct. I might be a homosexual. Thank you for making me aware of this.
6: Yeah, like, I didn't know that those stats were the stats. Like, I thought one in five women really were raped on college. It's like... Really? Or, or, oh, perfect one. Perfect one is uh, wage gap. Yeah. Like, I really thought that wage gap. And just, like, a bunch of people thought that. And then when you actually break it down, it, there is no wage gap. That isn't factoring in having children, and like child rearing, and yeah. like, that's so intellectually And choice and of honest. career.
0: Yeah, well, here's the thing, and then we, we do have to go, I'll we'll have to bring you back, but here, here's something that, that for me, that's that's the start of the issue, right? I found out, okay, wage gap is a myth. So for me, that's where it starts me on the trail going, but I've heard Barack Obama, our sitting president at the time, trot this out um does he not have access to google or exactly. is he lying that's
6: that's what got me paranoid yeah <laughs> you know i'm like do they do they knowingly do this right. because i've made him like my motto is i might be wrong but i'm not lying right yeah <laughs> you know and i'm like if he knew it and did that that's such divisive evil yeah. stuff and and it's one thing if you don't know but it's like you know you see thomas Sowell in 1984 hashing out these yeah, these issues. And it's like, how does he not know that that's not real? It's kind of like the gun thing not involving suicides, where it's like, you know that. Like, you're inflating this number on, like, when someone says, like, X amount of uh, gun deaths a year, and they yeah. don't include the fact that it's half suicides. Right. That's intellectually dishonest.
0: Right. Yeah. And then, and then they compare they compare gun crime rates across countries and not crime rates. And it's like, well, listen, obviously, if guns are more accessible in a country that has allowed firearms, they're going to be used to carry out more crimes. But that doesn't mean that the crime rate is worse or the homicide rate is worse, right. especially when you eliminate gang violence. Because, listen, we have different cultures in the United States. It's not the same as Iceland that has half the population of Rhode Island and is entirely homogenous. You can't really compare them, despite what Bernie said. Your Anyways, I could go on all day. Uh Owen Benjamin at Owen Benjamin on Twitter. Where's the best what's the best stuff for people to find on you?
6: Uh, my website is hugepianist.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my touring schedule is. And I'm Touché. on in Vancouver next week and I'm all over the place. So hit that up because I'm tall and I play piano. So, make sure you spell it right, though, or else it's a weird.
0: Yeah. A weird yeah, uh, Otherwise, it takes you to a site, and that is not Owen Benjamin. Um, hugepianist.com, as I think many Americans say, pianist, but we haven't spent a year in the Czech Republic, so we're not as cultured. Nope. At Owen Benjamin. <laughs> thank you so much, brother. We'll have you back, and uh, we have to be back after this. Stay tuned. Nice for
6: having me.
5: Whether preparing supper or tidying up the mess afterward, the homemaker finds meaning and purpose in her kitchen, almost exclusively. But where does she find all that energy? How do her dainty fingers hold up against such grueling manual labor? Yes, that's right. The Ladder with Crowder Mug Club. Scientifically proven to make even the most mundane and trivial of tasks 78% more enjoyable. Hubby has no tolerance for frowny faces. For only $99 annually, $69 for students, veterans, or active military, you too can toil with a smile. Ladderwithcrowder.com slash mugclub. Join now for daily Ladder with Crowder content and to avoid a fat lip for you.
0: Always great to bring back the family values with those old classic commercials. classics take them out from the vault right next to Walt Disney's anti-semitic corpse Uh, How often do you (laughs) hear us do uh, live reads? Well, really it's about once a week right now and thank you so much for those who've joined the mug club who watch the daily show That's obviously the most important thing. We can't thank you enough, but we do have a promo going on right now Here's one thing. We don't ever want to be in the business of selling you anything that you do not want Mm -mm. uh this is something we're pretty excited about we ran this special a while ago it was prepare with cr now it's prepare with crowder.com Let me be the first to say I'm not a doomsday theorist. I'm not a prepper. I don't think uh, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. But I did live through the Montreal ice storms where many people died, where we were out of power. We had no access to food or water for over a week. My brother was in Los Angeles for the riot. So I do think that it pays to be prepared. And right now, if you go to preparewithcrowder.com, you get a 30-day emergency food supply kit, $99 shipped free. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for four whole weeks. $99 $99 shipped free. You, you, you can't really build this supply kit that inexpensively, certainly not this diverse. And I don't know about you, but I I, I buy a couple of kits. I, I put them in our cupboard, and I leave them there so I have peace of mind. That's really what it comes down to in case it, any kind of a natural disaster occurs. So that's preparewithcrowder.com, and they're great partners, great supporters to the show. Yep. Uh, if you feel like it's a product that you need that you could use, I think everyone should be prepared. Great, do it. Or you can call 888-411-5153 repairwithcrowder.com, 30 days, $99 shipped free, and uh, limited supplies. We did it for a, a while back and it ended within the month because we sold out. So uh, thank you so much for your support. We'll be back after this. Jordan Peterson. That's the ancient art of kata. I've been teaching you about that this week, because I'm, this is a multicultural show. Uh, so you do this, and then proceed to get your ass kicked. Our guest <laughs> is at Jordan B. Peterson, uh, Dr. Peterson. Uh, he has been in the program before. And uh, I mean, so many accolades we could toss here. You have just your, I guess the public awareness has gone up like a rocket ship since we last had you on. Uh, Dr. Peterson, what, what's that like for you? You're, you're now, you're, you're notorious. Well, it's busy.
7: Mostly. Yes, I mean, I, it, it, it's interesting. I, I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. One, one, one thing that has happened though is that I now get up at five in the morning and start working because, in order to keep up with this at the moment, I that was pretty much what I had to do. Um, it's I'm a curious person, and while well, people have probably already figured that out, yes, I mean that I'm curious. In the eccentric way, I mean that I'm curious about things, and so I'm very curious about this. It's, it's, um. It it certainly wasn't something I expected, although I have to tell you that I've been amazed for decades that I've been allowed to teach what I do teach at the university, and that no one's ever noticed and stopped me from doing it. So the fact that attention has been brought to it, in some sense, I suppose, doesn't come as a surprise. Well, I think I'm happy. I'm happy about the opportunities that it's bringing me, and and I'm. I do like to teach people, and so the fact that now I can make a video and and reliably attract 50,000 viewers is great as far as I'm concerned. It's like, why not? I'm I'm hoping that I can teach people about psychology, and now I can. So
0: hooray! And, and it's it's remarkable that you know in the age of sort of the Kardashians and the reality stars sort of generation as we as we call it, you skyrocketed to to public awareness really through <laughs> through telling the truth, which has sort of become the counterculture. And that's what I find so interesting about about your situation. It's one of those things where you said something that shouldn't have been offensive, and it caught on like wildfire simply because it was truthful. Um, and, and of course, you, it, that's come with a lot of fans, and I'm sure it's come with a lot of headaches. Now, one thing we went to Twitter earlier today asking, okay, what do you want us to most discuss with Dr. Peterson? And surprisingly enough, even from a lot of atheists, they said, you know, I want to hear his views on on faith. Uh, I know you're going to be doing a a series. Will it be an online
7: series on... uh, Well, I plan to do it. The, The plan at the moment is to rent a theater on the University of Toronto campus, and I'd like to do a lecture every week for as long as it takes. It might be a number of years, but the first plan is for 25 weeks. I've wanted to walk my way through the Bible from a psychological perspective for, I've been thinking about it for a decade. I, I talked to a TV producer here who I've worked with for a very long time who was interested in that. And, Mel Gibson? Um, uh, yes, Mel, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for that. So just
0: figured we'd um, end your career right now, just dead on arrival.
7: Yeah, so I mean, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time on many of the ancient stories in the Bible trying to understand what they mean from a psychological perspective. And this would certainly provide me with the necessity for doing that. My life is structured so, and I think this is true for many people, so that unless I have a deadline and the absolute necessity for doing something, the probability that it will fall off my list of priorities is very high. So now I have, I know that if I make this series, then I can get tens of thousands of people. I know that there are tens of thousands of people who would be uh, engaging with it online, and it just seems foolish not to do it. So yeah, that's the plan.
0: Well, I, I I do have a lot of respect for you in this area because obviously, with you know, sort of fighting social justice warriors, as, as they're called, has become some has become has become somewhat. I don't know if I had a stroke today or what's going on. It's become somewhat popular now, and it's kind of accepted because they're so absurd, right? People they, they love to make them a whipping post, and appropriately so, by the way. I think it's a perfect whipping post. People who are social justice warriors. However, a lot of these people who are coming along this sort of political cultural Trail I've noticed were previously part of this this sort of leftist atheist coalition, so it's still immensely unpopular uh, to be someone uh, whose faith really is a, is a big part of their of their of what defines them as a human. And you were on Sam Harris's podcast, and that was one that really sort of went back and forth. And I I, I was surprised as to how roundabout he went with you a little bit for someone who's usually very very clear um, in his thought thoughtful approach. What was the reaction to that? And did you get, have you had more atheists upset saying, well, I used to respect you until I found out you believe in the flying spaghetti monster, which we all get, or or have you found more of them uh, interested in what you have to say and wanting to learn about it?
7: Well, I would say certainly that one of the consequences of appearing on Sam's show was that more people were attracted to watch my videos. And so I have had responses from people that are of the sort that you described who said, well, I... I am pleased with Dr. Peterson's political stance, but when he starts talking about the intersection between religion and psychology, then I just tune out. It's, but that that's fine with me. I actually don't, it doesn't, it isn't, huh. I'm not trying to convince people. Right. It's up to people to think whatever they want. And, and if they don't find what I'm saying convincing or interesting, then that's perfectly fine. Um, I'm also not claiming that what I'm saying is correct, because what I'm trying to talk about is insanely complicated, which is partly why I wanted to talk to Sam Harris about it. I mean, the thing about Harris is that he he has has concentrated on many of the same problems that, that have bothered me and has actually come to similar conclusions, but for very different reasons. And, right. and- I thought we could have an interesting conversation about that because he does believe that people have a primary moral obligation to speak the truth, and that he also believes that one of the primary moral obligations that characterize human 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 beings, let's say, is that they should try to work to mitigate unnecessary suffering, which is also something that I agree with. But sure. I think the problem with his approach is that it is— I don't think that— what he's promoting is grounded deeply enough to, to, to have the kind of power that's necessary for, to make it right. manifest itself properly. Yeah, And so- I also think that, that Harris and Dawkins, it's quite funny because they, they just talked to each other very recently. Um, Harris put Dawkins on the spot by suggesting that there may have been evolutionary reasons for the selection of religious ideation. And I actually happen to believe that. I think, And I think that both Harris and Dawkins, and this is mostly at Dawkins' feet, has never taken the, uh, the, the fact of the prevalence of religious thinking with the sort of seriousness that an evolutionary biologist should...
4: That's interesting.
7: It, because he, religious thinking is a human universal. Sure. And not only that, it's how we thought, it's how all of us thought all the time, roughly speaking before the scientific method was invented. And so for the vast majority of our evolutionary history, the essential way that we oriented ourselves in the world was indistinguishable from the religious, and it worked. Right. So because here we are, after all, and
0: there's and so, we're also fascinated, most psychologists with sort of these these evolutionary, you know, psychological coping mechanisms. And so I, I would imagine that an atheist might sort of toss that out, maybe as a smokescreen that, well, it's, it's a coping mechanism for what we don't understand in the physical well, world.
7: What, sure. Well, that's what Freud said, roughly right. speaking.
0: Right, but it's interesting that, that, like you said, sort of the most prominent atheist thinkers, or certainly speakers, I don't know if we'd call them philosophers, I don't know the proper terminology necessarily, it's interesting that they really don't touch upon that a whole lot. I mean, I've read Dawkins, I've listened to Harris quite a bit, and it surprises people often being a Christian, Um, and and I do think that you're part of, I I would say, sort of a new wave, where I think that a big reason for this culturally is there was Sam Harris, there was Richard Dawkins, and then there were people out there who would just say crazy outlandish things on behalf of Christianity. And I don't know if that's because atheists sort of kept people like you from the podium, or it's just that the craziest Christians sometimes grabbed the podium. But this thoughtful professorial approach, which really was was the norm in Christianity, if you go back to, you know, C.S. Lewis or Chesterton, right? This is this is not a new way of thinking. But it certainly has been absent for the last several decades. And it seems like you're part of a new wave who might usher in um a a new era of critical thinking for christians to discuss with atheists alike do you do you feel like you're a part of that
7: well that would be that would be lovely i would say because it's certainly something that i'm interested in i mean um i think that there is a very profound discussion that has to be had between evolutionary biologists and psychologists and people with 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 uh well with people of 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 deep and profound religious faith. Mm-hmm. Because I think the evidence that there are elements of religious phenomenology that are rooted in our biology is absolutely overwhelming. So, for example, you can reliably induce experiences that people characterize as religious with hallucinogens like psilocybin. Right. And it's extraordinarily well-documented evidence of that, particularly in recent years coming from Johns Hopkins, a very reliable and conservative medical...
0: A hate group, to hear Jess Herp's Transgender Maus of New Hope uh, <laughs> yeah. refer to it, Johns Hopkins, a hate group. It's well known. Not real doctors, we were told, yeah. only a yeah. hate group. Uh, yeah,
7: But, but the, the, the researchers there have shown that people who, have, uh, who, who are given psilocybin, for example... a a very large majority of them uh, report extraordinarily powerful mystical experiences that they regard as among the most important of their life, and not only that, that those experiences have a profound and lasting impact on their personality. Now, I'm not necessarily certain that more traditional religious people are going to be very thrilled with the idea that <laughs> right. some of this some of this kind of at least the mystical end of this experience can be induced with psychedelic yeah. drugs for can example. be induced but, with
0: what not Jared does at a nightclub on a Friday night so but, they're not gonna right, be thrilled
7: right right but but the anthropological evidence is clear you know that people have been inducing these sorts of experiences um and investigating the technologies to do so for tens of thousands of years, and perhaps for longer than that. So it's not something that can be ignored. It's something terrifying, to be sure. Right. Because it's terrifying, the idea that a, that a spiritual experience can genuinely be induced, or perhaps not genuinely, depending on how you look at it, but can be induced reliably mm-hmm. with a chemical is is certainly... It's It's...
0: You're giving, it could give credence to all of those druggies who are like, man, just drop acid. That's how you reach the higher level. And then a cult <laughs> starts, and Leia Remedy has a reality show. Let me ask you this. You're going to be talking right, about right. this in your class, going through the Bible uh, stories. Yep. An atheist here... On Twitter, I don't have it up in front of me. Specifically asked, said your views on, on these were, were fascinating, and he really liked listening to you discuss these subjects. So if you're going to go through these stories, for example, I don't know if you go through Daniel in the Lion's Den, through you know the New Testament. I don't know if you go through Genesis. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, I would I'll be right. interested to see when this this course takes place. Do you look at most of them literally? Do you look at most of them metaphorically, and or do you not touch that at all? You just look oh, at it from no, a modern no, psychological good. perspective. No, no,
7: that's a really good question. Well, look. I w- when, I was a, when I was a kid, when I was first in university, I had the opportunity to go out to the Edmonton Maximum Security Prison a couple of times with this very eccentric psychologist who taught a course on creativity at the University of Alberta. And,
0: uh, well, one moment, what, who could possibly be sentenced to a maximum security prison in Edmonton? They're, what did they do wrong?
7: They, they collected them from many places across Canada. And, and okay. there were plenty of guys in there that you would not want to meet in a dark alley or even in a well-lit space if you were surrounded by policemen.
1: Right, okay. So,
7: Yeah, yeah. So anyways, one of the things that he said in his class was that um, fiction tells you the truth by lying. Okay. So because, I know okay, Well, so let's let's just think about that for a minute. So you think about think about an author like Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, great authors or Shakespeare for that matter. And they they invent fictional characters and obviously you can't take a fictional story literally. Right. Okay, but that doesn't mean that there isn't truth in fictional stories. In fact, sure. Good fictional story. Imagine that you it takes you 6 hours to read a powerful piece of fiction. And then compare what you've learned about the world from that to just living your normal life for six hours. Right. The, what's happened, the, what the novelist is doing is distilling what's essential from normal life and presenting it in a condensed manner. Mm-hmm. Okay, so imagine, imagine something like this. This is obviously a metaphor to, to some degree. So imagine that a literary genius watches a hundred people. And then distills what he has learned from watching those hundred people into one character in a way that you can, in a manner you can digest in six hours. So it's like, it's condensed and distilled wisdom. Right. Okay, now imagine that you you have a hundred authors like that, and you take all of their books, and you distill those books into ten books. Okay. Well, then you have the Bible.
0: Oh, I see what you did there. You brought it full circle. And I do think it's important to delineate um, that there are some... I mean, Jesus spoke in parables, for example. By definition, that is fiction. Um, You know, you can compare it to modern Aesop fable. But there is a case to be made. I certainly believe this. For Jesus Christ as a historical figure, and I would not consider yep. the New Testament fiction, and that's one issue where yep. it's very hard to discuss with atheists. You know, oh, flying spaghetti monster. But um, I came to this. I was raised in a Christian household, but at a certain yep. point, people say, "Were you born a Christian?" No one is born a Christian. At some point, everyone has to decide for themselves. Period. Yep. Um, reading from you know, reading uh, you know Tacitus, Josephus, Justin Martyr, uh, looking you know Tertullian, all of these arguments. You know, obviously the empty tomb. That's an argument that is is kind of one that has to be accounted for. Um yep. I looked at it from a logical perspective and said, okay, what are the odds of this occurring? This is the historical evidence we have for Christ as a historical figure. And then I will tell you as uh, someone who likes to think of themselves as logical, what's the gamble on this being an act of chance. Um, And so I think it is important for people. And I think a lot of atheists don't get this. There are some things that are literal. There are some areas where it's a historical document in the Bible. And as you're saying, sometimes this is meant to be taken um, as a morality tale. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Look, look, I mean, that the Bible is an extraordinarily complicated document, and, and it is a strange mix of, of history and mythology. And and separating one from the other is no straightforward thing. And you probably hit on the most crucial issue there with regards to the the, let's call it the empirical reality of the resurrection of Christ. Now, the first thing I have to say about that is that I do not understand it well enough to have a proper opinion about it. And what I mean by a proper opinion is that I don't understand it. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about the story of Christ is that it is heavily mythologized, and on multiple levels. So, for example, there's there's a cosmology that's associated with Christ. So Christ is the sun. I mean the literal sun in the cosmology, and there's 12 disciples because each of the disciples represents an astrological house. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that's so interesting about the story of Christ is that it can be retold at multiple levels of analysis, and has been, and, and those have all been integrated into something that all says the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, that leaves open the um, the issue of the relationship between the historical reality and the archetype and and the mythology. For example, it's quite obvious that many of the elements of Christ's life, the way that it's presented in the New Testament, have uh, remarkable and substantive parallels with the description of the Egyptian god Horus, right. who is also a kind of a savior god, and and who is also represented quite frequently as an infant sitting on the lap of Isis, his mother, in the same way that Christ is represented sitting on the lap of Mary. Yeah. So there are these historical parallels, and they're deep and profound, and one way of reading them is that that's just evidence that the entire story is 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 a vari- variation of of, of a myth. Right, Unless, that's what I
0: was taught by Helen Holt in my uh, mythology course in, in, uh, uh, at university. Well, not university, actually, college, Champlain College, and I remember asking her, saying, okay, well, hold on a second. Um, how many of them were a human sacrifice, rose from the dead, and made the claim that they are the only way to salvation? She said, well, that's different. I said, okay. Now, how many historical accounts for them saw political figures and very powerful historical figures arguing Tales of corruption, well, actually, the, uh, the disciples stole his body from the tomb. I mean, there are historical accounts of this. For me, when I look at it, I'm going, well, why are they arguing this? If you see these historical accounts, they should just trot out Christ's body. But they felt the need because there was enough, at least, public pressure, if not evidence. People believed in this idea of an empty tomb. They were arguing from that premise, saying, no, 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 this is why there's an empty tomb. And that, to me, was so compelling um, for the historical case. Because the <laughs> easiest thing would be to say, there is no empty tomb. It's it, it's It's bullshit but they right,
7: didn't. Right, right, right.
0: That, well, sorry, this personal opinion, but you're, you're well, the scholar. So the
7: other, the, other, the, other the, 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 the issue for me in relationship to that is twofold. The first thing is, is that that's a problem that I'm actively working on trying to understand. And mm-hmm. I hope to do a lot more of that over the next three or four years because it's an extraordinarily deep problem. But um, I would also say that I've understood it in large part in a manner that was offered to me by my by, by, by understanding of Carl Jung. And so Jung said, so imagine I made, I made a case that you can think about the Bible as a form of extraordinarily distilled fiction and fiction in the best sense in that, in that fiction is a kind of abstraction from reality like mathematics is a kind of abstraction from reality. And you might say, well, are numbers real? And one answer to that is no. And the other answer is, yeah, they're more real than anything else. And you can make a very strong case for both of those viewpoints because they're not real the same way like a cup is real, but they're real in the way that allows you to make like, atom bombs
0: I love, so, I love, by the way, that a doctor has a solo cup. So,
7: you'd expect a mug and a very distinguished pen. It's the thing you well, use to play beer I, pong. I have my Louder with Crowder mug at home and use it frequently.
0: Well, thank you very much. I, I'm glad that you do. It uh, enhances the aroma and flavor of, uh, of beverages by scientifically noted uh, 24%. So mm-hmm. we're very proud of that.
7: Oh, that, that's impressive. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, yes. I figured <laughs> as a doctor, that would impress you. I mean, we could so, talk about this forever. So, but sorry, we only have a few minutes, so I'll, I'll let you have the floor.
7: Okay well so I'll just I'll just say one final thing and, and this is part of the mystery for me. So just as you can think of the Bible as a distillation of fiction, although that's not all it is right you can think of the idea of the Savior or the Redeemer or the idea of Christ as a distillation of what's what could be the best of humanity and that's sort of reflected in the idea of the King of Kings mm-hmm. So imagine this imagine this is what's happened over the course of history. Again, it's a metaphor, but it's roughly speaking which it's it's it will do to, to approach the topic. So imagine that you took a hundred people and you derived the best elements from them and you distilled those into ten people. Those would be admirable heroes. Right. And you could think of them as a kind of aristocracy. Sure. And then imagine that you took ten admirable heroes and distilled them into a king. And then you took ten kings and you distilled that into a meta-king. Right. That would be Christ. And that, that's that's exactly what happened. Is, and This is speaking strictly from a conceptual perspective. Right. I'm trying to understand a kind of abstraction. Sure. You could say that what's happened across history is that humanity has attempted to produce the vision, a vision of the perfect man. And the perfect man would be Everything admirable about a human being distilled into a single entity.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Now you can see that playing out in the story of the Christian passion, because what you ha- what what the the central element. Let let let's look at it this way: human beings have to bear a cross. Well, what's the cross? The cross is the burden of being alive and the knowledge of their own mortality and fragility. And you can either bear that honorably or dishonorably. And if you bear it honorably, then you do it by telling the truth and living a forthright life and aiming at the best. And those are all things that are characteristic of the Christ that we know from the, from the, from the Gospels. Mm-hmm. But then to make that a truly archetypal story, you have to magnify it to, to its ultimate degree. And so that's also what's happened in the Christian story, because you have the perfect man who's innocent of all things, so that's sinless— who is betrayed by his friends, which is the worst thing that can happen to you socially, and who's then subject to torture and death reserved for a criminal, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it's the most unjust possible sequence of things happening to the best possible person. right? Okay, that's what makes it archetypal. You can't tell a more meaningful story than that. Right. It's a limit. The worst thing happens to the best person. It's a limit. Right. You can't go beyond it. Well. And so that's what that story portrays. So there's a, there's, a deep, there's a deep reality to it. Again, I'm speaking purely conceptually. Right. Now, But what Carl Jung pointed out, and I really like this idea, is that, so imagine that that idea is an archetypal concept. It's, it's the ideal to which you should aspire. And then it's formulated as an as implementable ideal. Now, that's what you manifest if you're a follower of Christ, say, in the truest sense, or maybe if you're a follower of the Buddha. Now, then you can imagine that across history, there are people who more or less embody that archetype. And the people who embody it to virtually no degree are, are uninteresting or reprehensible. They're just scoundrels.
0: Yes, or, or feminists.
7: But then and now and then someone comes along who's, who really partially embodies that archetype, who really is a manifestation of something approaching the ideal. And then now and then someone comes along who really closely matches that ideal.
0: Well, uh, Steven Seagal claims that he's the Dalai Lama incarnate. So there's that. So oh, maybe he's... Oh, I
7: know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's Steven Seagal. He's a retard. So it is interesting. <laughs> it is interesting. He does claim that. <laughs> it's a hell of a
7: thing to call someone who's the reincarnation of the Dalai Lama.
0: Yes, it yes. would be if that were the case. But um, I, um, <laughs> I could talk about this all day. And maybe we'll do an extended uh, version. We do have uh, we do have uh, uh, other topics to get to. And, of course, we have several guests today. Um, okay. I do find all that interesting conceptually. And then, uh, you know, for me, when it comes down to, you know, people... People aren't willing to live their life or end their life for merely a concept. So again, the historical context, yeah. and actually Gerald, it would be interesting if we, we uh, had him here for the interview, he had to go to the restroom. Um, when you look at people who were persecuting Christians and then willing to die for something in that lifetime with that, that's, that's a rarity. And that is something that, again, needs to be accounted for when you can look at it historically and say, okay, these people were willing to die for someone they knew that's different from a concept and that's a whole other layer that we can get into um which which again there are several different views that you know if you're talking about a tree branch with with christianity i mean that's one thing too it's really yep. the reason i don't engage in these conversations as much with militant atheists is because well christians and you and i understand that the christian umbrella is is far different from I guess, atheists, in the sense that you can go, okay, Christian, you have Catholic, you have Catholic, you have Protestant, then you have Protestant, you have five-point Calvinism, you have this idea of predestination. And there are so many different uh, different variables there that someone who doesn't believe in the Christian faith at all won't necessarily understand um, or really be able to have a productive conversation about it. And I think uh, this is one where hopefully it's been illuminating for people, uh, and we can bring you back on to talk about it more. I mean, this is something yeah, that can ha- occur for nice, hours. it
7: would be nice to continue to develop that, because... I would like to talk more about the the relationship between Christ as a historical figure, say as a literal figure, and the mythological representations. It's 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 very interesting. It's something that Carl Jung spent an awful lot of time talking about as well. And yeah. and, it, and his work on that is profound beyond, virtually beyond comprehension. Contrary
0: so, to Freud, who just wanted to screw his mother, uh, Doctor Peterson, where is the best place for people to <laughs> find you and your self-authoring program, which I recommend to everybody. Uh,
7: well, they can find the self-authoring program at self-authoring.com. That'll help them write about write their autobiography and write a plan for the future, which is a very useful thing to do. And I have a website at jordanbpeterson.com and lots of videos at Jordan Peterson Videos on YouTube. There's about 600 hours of videos there for people who would like to watch 600 hours of video. Yes,
0: exactly, <laughs> absolutely. I highly recommend it. Who needs a college degree at this point when you can watch 600 hours of Dr. Jordan Peterson? Mr. Peterson, Dr. Peterson, I apologize. Damn, force of habit. Thank you so much. We must go. We'll have you back again soon, sir.
7: Thanks. Pretty good seeing you, sir. you.
4: Sweet Marion Joseph. Private Sullivan! Get to the
0: fallout shelter! I always knew those ragheads would make it to our shore, Sullivan. Sir, yes, sir. Thank the Lord above, we prepared. We prepare with Crowder.com. $99 ship-free for a 30-day emergency food
1: supply kit. Sir, yes, sir. Everything you need, reasonably priced. We have full meals, freeze-dried fruit, soup, and pudding, sir, just add heat and water. That's right, Private! Just
0: add heat! ...and water. Where's all the water, Private? Sullivan! Do you mean to tell me that we forwent the most basic human necessity in exchange for
1: caffeinated sugary soda pop? I thought we'd need our energy, sir. Like the terrorists?
3: Oh, no! Alert, man! Alert, man!
5: Prepare with Crowder! or call 888-411-5153. 30
0: day food supply kit, $99 ship free! They have pudding! (laughs) To wear to wear. <laughs> I love how we're doing the underwater dance and Edward the sound guy's in the background. Just, just going forward. <laughs> is my jam. You don't hold your headphones underwater, Edward the sound guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's no concept of physics or hydrogen. Or imagination. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to our wonderful guest's own... Benjamin and Jordan B Peterson. Thank you, at G Morgan Jr. for being in. Absolutely, sir. This week, this. at G Morgan Jr. Hopefully, you'll get a better Twitter handle at some sometime soon. Nope, probably hmm? not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a defiant child. <laughs> Indeed. Hopefully, you finish your Brussels sprouts. Nope. Oh, I can see we're going to discipline you. <laughs> Uh, man, I, you know what? It's one of those things we got. We went into uh, some deep conversation here tonight, and sometimes that works, and sometimes people get uh, upset by it. Sometimes people really like it. So hopefully, if you're listening in your car, uh, of course, you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Audio, if you don't want to watch the uh, the video while you're on the go. Uh, I know it's not audio downloadable, the daily show for Mug Club members, a uh, carcom slash Mug Club CRTV members. That's going to be there soon, by the way, in the app. Nice. So nice. you'll be able to watch the video, or you'll be able to download the audio version to take with you. We have a lot of requests for that. Yeah. So there is going to be a whole reformatting of of the app and the site, just so you know. So the reason it hasn't been trotted out earlier is because we're going to do it all at once. So hang um, on, Sloopy.
1: Hang on, Sloopy. Hang on.
0: Just hang on.
1: <laughs> it gets better than you know. Um,
0: I tell you what doesn't get better. The state of CNN. That is only going <laughs> to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier in the show. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, Jordan Peterson and I can have a discussion where we even branch out sort of on, on the discussion of, 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 of Christianity somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much we disagree or agree because we we're talking about it more conceptually. Mm-hmm. But um, it's interesting that we can have, I guarantee you, if you were to line up Jordan Peterson, me and Owen Benjamin in a room and actually go through what our exact views are, that we all would have very seriously differing opinions on mm-hmm. certain subjects. I, I actually think that would probably happen in this room. Yeah, quite a bit, uh, even though we're all right wing or more conservative. But um, I don't think it happens at places like CNN. I think that with this stuff, when everyone's just when you see someone who's being praised, we talked about if you just cycle through these stories, when you see how no one at CNN is like, you know, we really should be covering more of the story with Europe and Marie Le Pen, who's having her speech silenced. And no one goes, yeah, no. we should. Mm-hmm. When everyone's saying, you know, it's really brave, this Latino woman. Yeah, Donald Trump hates immigrants. And no one is there saying, eh, well, maybe it's illegal immigrants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, There really is something dangerous. We've talked about this getting into an echo chamber and surrounding yourself either only with yes men in your own personal life or certainly politically and culturally surrounding yourself with people, even if they agree with you, who won't challenge you. Gerald and I have gotten some knockdown, drag-out brawls
2: mostly about Transformers. No, one day it was over <laughs> soccer <laughs> <laughs> That's true Do you remember? That's true What was what, what, what was, what was the, the you g- said a power lifter could run like a faster 40-yard dash than like anybody on the planet no. and I was like what I said an Olympic lifter Olympic lift. Yeah, and that's not true it's That's not, not true. what I said No, I know it, we, we got to the what I said the of was Olympic lifters Three without training later, We figured it out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we forgave <laughs> one another It was
0: I started yelling you ha- you started yelling you have no science mm <laughs> Because I remember that discussion, we got into a big argument, and my, it was it was predicated on the idea that soccer players are faggots, and so
2: no, no he meant fast. He meant fast. That's what he meant. No, yeah. that's not what I meant but at all. But their hair stays in place. I'll I give meant that.
0: fags. I meant men who wear pink jerseys and have buns in their hair. Faggots. <laughs> so we were talking about soccer. It was predicated on that, and then he was, he, Gerald said they're the most. They're. they And this isn't even political, but he said they're actually some of the best athletes in the world. And I said, no, some, they're not some of the best. No, athletes. Not. No, they're not. And please, uh, please tweet him. Watch. And this is going around. to be the Jeez. thing that gets the most comments out of yeah. everything we've discussed. Today. That's right. We've gotten into Egyptian right. mythology, the conceptualization of Christ as opposed to the literal interpretation. We've gotten, in, we've gotten, into, we've gotten, <laughs> gotten into Thomas Sowell and what everyone's going to come. And I can't believe that you called Paley a faggot. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do. It's like an old school reference. I mean, you can't even come up with like Rooney or somebody current, you know? No?
0: The faggot, ladies and gentlemen. See, this is the. <laughs> I was saying, are saying, I'm, are a, you Chelsea, I'm at a, a, a Chelsea race? man anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, ex- well, exactly. Chelsea, Manhattan. That is the area. Man,
2: Chelsea man. Stop it. Just see, see what He's happens. He's only digging
0: this hole deeper. But we had this discussion, <laughs> and then afterwards we had it. We got into a big argument. I went to the bathroom, took a leak, and then I came back. We spent the rest of the weird, night. We were totally fine. fine. Yeah. But we got into an argument over it. And the, I remember what it was. I was saying, actually, there was a study the Olympic lifters, which actually you may be right. Uh, some people have tried to say this
2: was a falsified study. Wait, wait, now maybe what?
0: I can give it to you I'm all the time. I know, be I'm right. with you. Uh, they said it might be a falsified study, but this was long time uh, for a long time accepted in sports training that the Olympic lifters would actually outrun uh, some of the hundred meter dashers, or maybe it was a four hundred meter, like in the, up in the ten. Uh, the 10 yards first like yes, that explosive explosion. off the yeah. blocks and it surprised a lot of people and so they incorporated a lot of that sort of dynamic training into yeah. it and so I was talking about that with with, with soccer and, and then we got into the portion you know, where soccer just it sucks as a, as a yeah. general concept general. <laughs> <laughs> to conceptualize. Soccer. Sucky faggots. So the point is, (laughs) um, we got into this argument about it, but having a room full of people who still feel comfortable questioning each other and fact checking each other saying, "Ah, I disagree with you on that, is a much more healthy atmosphere uh, than I think you even see in traditional media outlets. And you have to ask yourself, we're talking about the golden age of journalism. To take it back to that, well, what do you think changed? If The golden age of journalism, it's the same networks. ABC, NBC, CBS, largely the same corporations, or certainly the same level of power of these giant corporations. So did it change overnight where all of a sudden everyone at NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, most trusted name, did it change overnight where all of a sudden they decided we're only going to hire liberals to the point where Chris Cuomo will go out there and actually believe that he's a news anchor? Did that happen overnight? Or is it maybe something that was always there that you weren't aware about because they've always been in a room where they agree with each other? And you, don't ha- you will be amazed sometimes when you don't have to accept this premise. Uh, th- there are some simple things. Sometimes people, Owen oh, Benjamin was very complimentary. I do not fancy myself a skilled debater at all. Like I've said, you know, Thomas Sowell, uh, Ben Shapiro, um, even Jordan Peterson. are, 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 are Listen, they're, they're way more educated and they're way more skilled in the art of debate than I am. For people who ask for that, if you're actually looking for truth when you're having a conversation and a debate, and you'll see this happen with Chris Cuomo, you'll see this happen with a lot of members of traditional media who were once respected. If you just check them on something very simple that, well, Donald Trump hates immigrants, it, you can literally get the upper hand in that conversation, in a conversation seeking the truth, not just talking about a debate. I saying, well, no, no, hold on a second. The problem we have is with illegal immigration. And you would assume that they will be able to handle that and they'll, oh, they'll have a counter argument and then you'll have three or four prepared, which you always should, but most of the time it doesn't happen. Certainly not with people uh, who are coming from the entertainment industry or coming from the New York, D.C. media elite. It is remarkable where we've gotten to a point where the most rudimentary debating techniques or skills, the most rudimentary uh, employment of the Socratic method destroys their entire basis uh, of arguing in the first place. And you're seeing that happen. And this is a really interesting time in history, because I don't think that this is the first time people have woken up. I don't think this is the first time that people are starting uh, to be willing to to concede that. I think we're at a time in history where people have been so coddled, where people in the entertainment industry and people in the media have been so used to like-minded thinking. And because of the information superhighway, that is, the internet. They're now being questioned on it. And you see it, right? You see, like, this is why you see Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon freaking out and getting into Twitter fights. Like you make millions of dollars every year, and you're on one of the biggest news networks in the world, and you're getting mad because someone said that you're wrong on Twitter. It's because they're so fragile. I don't think they've been exposed to this information as they've gotten from the walking meme on Twitter, who just said, as Owen Benjamin said, "No, seventy-seven cents in the dollar is a lie. No, it's illegal immigration." And so I, I will say this: if, if nothing else to learn, it's okay to be bold. Sometimes you'll be surprised. At, have you ever had this, where you're getting into a conversation or to an argument, and someone else says something that is sort of assumed as the truth, and they say it confidently, so you go, "Well, hold on a second." Maybe they're right. Maybe I shouldn't say what I thought I was going to say because they seem confident about that. That's what's been going on for decades in this country. That's what's been going on on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, every, every place. That's what's been going on with Sarah Silverman. That's what's been going on with Amy Schumer. That's what's been going on with the entertainment industry. They've been saying things confidently enough that a lot of us have been going, well, hold on a second. day, the they, they all say it. It must be true. You'd be surprised as to how much headway you can make just by being bold in declaring what you know to be true. Arm yourself with information, but if you know it to be true and are just willing to speak about it publicly, I've noticed this in my life, Some people sometimes don't know how to process it. You'll be surprised. So if ever you have to err on the side of, of, of being meek or being bold with truth in speaking truth, uh, try that this week. Try speaking boldly, truthfully, and uh, I think you'll have a better week because of it. Also, I think you could destroy Chris Cuomo. So there's that. <laughs> See you next week. It